This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf. You can always find me at practical-golf.com. And as always, I am joined by Adam from adamyounggolf.com. So last week, we did some strategy talk. We talked about approach shots. Also, thank you again for all the feedback we get on every episode. I feel like we we get enough communication from people that were seem to be heading on the right path here. So I'm glad people got a lot out of that episode. And just a reminder to everyone who's been listening, the library that Adam and I are creating is, you can call it evergreen, non-sequential. You can go through it. There, there's no order here, but... You, know, you can always poke back through the library and learn a lot about different topics we're discussing. So what are we talking about this week, Adam? I thought we'd talk about matchups because I know that's a very common word these days, or I suppose you could say buzzword, although I, I like it. I like the concept of matchups. And I get a lot of emails about it as well. What, what does this mean exactly? I am by no means a swing expert. I do not teach the golf swing. <laughs> I have not studied the golf swing extensively. I think I have some intuition about the golf swing, but getting involved in the online coaching community over the last six, seven years, this is a topic that I've actually learned a lot about by following people like yourself. Someone like Andrew Rice comes to mind or Shaheen Nakjavani. And I think I like it because I think a lot of the modern coaches, the next version of coaches that are coming out are all kind of not in agreement. No one's ever always in agreement, but they they believe that there's no right one golf swing. There's a lot of talk about matchups. And I like that because it, it's interesting and it really signifies what I believe is the truth about the golf swing is that there's not one right way to do it. There's kind of different fingerprints out there. So I like this topic. I'm by no means an expert on it. So I'm going to let you take the lead here and I'll give you some of my opinions. But it's a good way to approach the golf swing because it, it kind of puts you in a spot where you don't think there's one right way to do it. There's all these different moving parts that can work together differently in each golfer to create what I always like to say are functional results. Yeah, so f you could call matchups functional combinations. So, I mean, when I was learning golf myself, I don't know if it was the same for you, John, but I picked up things like Ledbetter's book, Fowler's book, which were all great in terms of educating me into what a good golf swing should be and what a good golf swing should look like. But it kind of pushed the idea maybe of a model golf swing or an ideal version. And anything that veered from that was deemed a compensation. 
And so, you know, I kind of grew up with this idea in my head. If I could just make my swing like the model, exactly, piece by piece, then I would play great golf. But when you start teaching, you start looking at more and more golf swings, you start seeing some really good players, you notice that a lot of them don't fit that mold. I mean, you could just, I could bring up the top 10 in the, in the world right now. I mean, you could probably find so many different looking swings. You've got like Dustin Johnson, who has a strong grip, really bowed wrist and really doesn't rotate or release the club a lot through impact. So those are things that match up. You might have someone like a Bryson DeChambeau who has a much weaker palmy grip position. So that tends to be more of an open face position, but then he really rotates a lot at the bottom. He has a lot of forearm supination at the bottom to close the face. So Bryson DeChambeau versus Dustin Johnson, they do it in very different ways, but they both use ways that are functional. It matches up. They balance each other out, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think... I never really studied the golf swing as a kid. I, it, didn't, it never really interested me that much. I guess it was always because whenever I played sports, I kind of figured out my own technique and it was always a little bit unorthodox. So I was, I guess, an, always an outside of the box type of executor in any sport I played and, and golf was no exception. But I would always, you know, I would read Golf Digest and all the golf magazines as a kid you know, I would get a lot of these articles that told you about, oh, grip the club this way to do this with the golf ball. And it would, you know, it's the same kind of stuff you see now where you see the top players in the world giving some, their five keys to success for hitting the ball farther or fading it or drawing it or hitting all these different types of shots. And I was always frustrated because it never worked for me. So I just kind of went on my own and I did have instruction along the way. I got a lot of help from golf instructors. And I think what it did for me was, and referring to working with, with a swing instructor is they, they took my tendencies, or at least the coaches I worked with, and they kind of worked with them and they made me understand what I was doing so I could have kind of like a pattern I can fall back on. And, and to bring me to now where I don't work with a golf coach anymore, but I have a fairly good understanding of the patterns and matchups in my golf swing. Not that I think about them all that much. You can go to our locus of attention episode for that. I'm not thinking about the internal mechanics of my swing all that much, but I kind of understand the parts that are glued together that, that gets it to work somewhat. And I think that's an important place for, for golfers to get to is if they can have a better understanding of, I guess, what matchups are functional and then what matchups could work for them based on their tendencies. And I think, you know, we're, we're going to get into a few of those during this episode. But that's that's why I like it so much, because I don't want anyone to feel the pressure when they play with another golfer that they like their swing or they see a swing on TV and they're like, oh, I have to do it that way. You don't. There's a number of ways to get it done. Well, you got to be very careful who you copy as well. So say, for example, Colin Morikawa will win a tournament and he's known for flexing his, his lead wrist a lot at the top, just like Dustin Johnson. Well, if you saw that and you went out and you saw, well, Colin won a tournament this week, let's go out and try it. For you, that would make you worse because you already have a tendency to close the face to the path. You already have a tendency to hit it quite low. So if you did a, a Colin Morikawa motion with the lead wrist that would that would exaggerate some of your issues yeah the thought of me de-lofting or closing the face more is uh <laughs> well <laughs> that's because you know maybe if i went and played it maybe if i played in scotland it might be better <laughs> hitting into a uh, win but not over here 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's because you know that a lead wrist flexion is going to do that. It's going to either close the face more and or deal off the club, which is how I like to think of the swing. Whereas lots of people, they don't. They just see that guy has won this week. That's unique about his swing. That's what all the magazines and the commentators are talking about. Let's go out and try that. And for some people, it might work. If they were a big slicer of the golf ball, if they tend to hit it high and weak and present an open face and lose a lot of forward shaft lean, then doing that Colin Morikawa move might help them. But for a lot of people on the other end of the spectrum, it's going to make them worse. That's why, remember a few years ago, and maybe it's still in vogue, I don't even know. Remember shallowing the shaft was like big? Everyone was kind of talking about that, and everyone's like, oh, I got to shallow the shaft. And I was like, well, <laughs> you could. And if it, or, or if it, like you said, if it's not the right matchup for you, you're probably going to be hitting these enormous blocks. Exactly. Yeah. Shallowing the shaft opens the face up. It has a tendency to open the face yes. up. So that's why guys who are big shallowers, they also have club face closing moves like lead wrist flexion, or they have a lot of supination at the bottom. It also tends to make the path more from the inside if that club is shallowing. And so that tends to go nicely if you are a big rotator. So I know you see, I know George Gankus's guys are all young and really flexible and, and great. So that shallowing combined with a huge rotation is really good. But then you get other guys like Tiger Woods wasn't a big shallower. He, he stayed very much on plane with the club shaft and he wasn't a big rotator either. You look at his chest at impact and his chest was quite square. So uh, those, that's another example of matchups, right? Shallowing the shaft with rotation versus less shallowing the shaft and less rotation. You probably wouldn't want to be the other end of the spectrum though, which is a steep shaft with no rotation. So there are kind of both ends of the spectrum. You've got the bad end, you've got the good end, and you've got somewhere in between that. And anywhere in between to the good end is going to be functional. But once you start going into the bad end, we can have bad matchups that don't function as well. And I guess the word of caution I I would give to people is that it's just very hard for any recreational golfer to understand what good matchups are. I mean, I don't really know most of them myself. I think I know what works for my golf swing, but if you put 10 different golfers in front of me, I could probably tell you maybe what's limiting them in terms of their what kind of positions they're getting in with their body, but I would have no idea how to fix that in terms of the matchups and communicating that to them. It, it, it takes a lot of work, like someone like yourself who's put a lot of work over the years to understand how all these moving parts fit together. So I guess that's a, a word of caution for people to go out there and kind of, we've said this in a few episodes, is kind of pick and choose these different moves and swing styles and try and put them in your swing because you just don't know if you can do it. And also you don't know if it's relevant to your golf swing either. I think that's the big part in what I'm trying to educate golfers on is understanding if you're going to produce a move, if you're going to try and change something in your swing, how does it fit into the mix? Is it a good thing for you? Is it a bad thing for you? And that's what I'm doing with my eight-week course at the moment. So Say, for example, you've got two different philosophies, right? You've got the swing model philosophy, so the one way to swing it, the dogmatic approach. So, you know, you have to take it away exactly here. You have to be here halfway back. You have to be here halfway down. That kind of swing by numbers approach. And that can certainly work. But it might take you an absolute lifetime to get your swing to look like that model. And you might not perform any better than someone who didn't go that route. 
Hollywood. Someone who looks like a Jim Furyk, for example. Or me. So the uh, yeah, or, or you, yeah, exactly. Or myself. Yeah. I mean, my my matchups, for example, I tend to drop the club a long way behind me on the downswing. And so I found that if I take the club way outside the line on the backswing, that matches up well. When when that drop occurs, I actually drop it back on the plane. So that's a matchup that can work. Take it taken away outside. And looking at Furyk's swing, that's what kind of makes his swing so awesome because he's so vertical on the backswing, but then he slots it in like he his, his downswing to me was always world class. Exactly. So if you took a Jim Furyk and you made his backswing more orthodox looking, more textbook looking, or you took a Dustin Johnson and made him not bow his wrist as much at the top, you'd make those two players worse because that doesn't fit in with the rest of the swing. Now, the argument could be that there could be, well, okay, well, you change one thing and then you change the other thing to balance it out. And that's okay. That is a better philosophy, certainly. But that, there's no guarantee that player is going to be better with that different set of matchups. It's just a different way of doing it. How I like to see the swing is just a series of pieces. You know, you could do this in the swing. You could do that in the swing. So, for example, you could get your lead arm steeper at the top of the swing. That's one swing piece. You could flex your wrist or bow it a little bit more at the top or cap it more at the top. Understanding how that piece changes the impact parameters is important. A simple example we've already been through of that. If I take a hundred golfers and I get them to flex the lead wrist more. Can you, uh, why don't you define that for people, what that is, so they can have a kind of a visual understanding of that. So lead wrist flexion, imagine the logo on your glove, on your left hand glove, imagine pointing it more towards the sky or pointing your left palm more towards the ground. So you're flexing, you're bending, bending your wrist, lead wrist flexion. If you Google lead wrist flexion, it'll show you. And so that, if I ask 100 golfers to do more of that as they kind of reach their transition, they will tend to either hit it more left and or lower. And so that is good. That is a good thing to introduce to someone who hits it high into the right. But just to clarify, that would be shutting the club face more at the top of their swing, correct? Yeah, depending on what else happens at the bottom. But yeah, it tends to close the face and or de-loft it. So depending on what people do at the bottom, you know, if you if you give it to me, I know personally, if you give a left lead wrist flexion to me, I just hit it lower. I hit it just as straight, but I hit lower. Whereas if you give it to some other people, they might hit it more left. So again, there are other things that there are different things that can happen even with a bunch of, of golfers. But as a general rule, if someone is hitting it high into the right, lead wrist flexion, adding some more of that is, is probably a good move for them. But you don't want to get to the point where you're taking them to the point of injury as well. So say I look at a golfer and I say, well, they're already flexing their lead wrist. I don't want to add more to them because I'm going to put them in their joint in a position that could injure them. So I might find an alternative solution to their high and right shots. But yes, yeah, so that lead wrist flexion is going to be good in general for high and right shot players, whereas it's going to be bad for players like yourself, low and left shot players. Make sense? Yeah, I certainly don't want to shut. I mean, my, I think my club face is almost as you've seen it. How much more shut could it be at the top of my swing? And I think that must work for me because my cue in my swing, and I think one of the reasons why I like playing a draw now is that I feel like I can 
have the club face open at impact. And I guess, I'm just guessing here, maybe you can correct me, having it so shut at the top of my swing allows me to open it up. Again, I don't think about these things. I know that they're going on. But that was one of my cues earlier in my when I had a no understanding of ball flight laws or how to play a fade or a draw. My cue when I was trying to hit a fade on the golf course as a junior golfer was keeping the club face open too. And that just really made me hit these massive blocks that was, you know, right, starting right and going right. So when I just got a lesson about eight or nine years ago and the guy's like, let's try and get you to hit a draw. I was like, oh, now I can have an open club face. So I guess I just made all these adjustments over the years to get it so shut at the top of my swing so that I can open it at impact and have the clo- you know the ball start right of my target and draw back most of the time. So that's one of my main swing cues is just getting that club face open at impact. I, I'm not thinking about it too much, but I know it's happening. Exactly. I mean, there are, there are examples of pros that fit that mold as well. You've got Dustin Johnson, who does a lot of face closing moves. So a stronger grip, lots of lead reflection at the top of the swing. So the, both of those would tend to make that ball go left for a lot of players. Which he needs to do because he's predominantly exactly. plays a fade he needs to start the ball to the and that again you know I, we keep reiterating ball flight laws here but they're so important for everyone to understand because they were really miscommunicated for so long is that you know for dustin johnson to be successful and start the ball left of his target and, and curve it back to the right that club face needs to be shut at impact and for me like i can't do that i just cannot swing at a golf shot thinking that my club face will be closed at impact it's just not a comfortable thought or position for me Exactly. So lead wrist flexion and stronger grip tend to be left or club face closing moves. How he counters that is he has a very low amount of supination or forearm roll at the bottom. So he's holding off the face, a very late release, and he swings left as well. So he he can get away with a more closed face. So it matches up well. That left path with a closed face produces a nice fade for him. But you give that same mix to someone who swings from inside, like myself, and they're going to be snap hooking it all day. So that's that's the beauty of some great instructors, I think, is that, you know, when he went to Butch Harmon, when Dustin Johnson went to Butch Harmon, Butch didn't change his entire swing. Butch didn't make Dustin Johnson look like a textbook model. I think what they did, according to anecdote at least, is he just said, let's try and play the fade. And so that was a good matchup for him. That was just a simple addition to his swing. So let's cut across it more. That's an addition to his swing that allowed or fit in with the rest of his motion without disturbing too much of what made Dustin Johnson him. Now, if Dustin Johnson went to a different pro, that pro might have torn him apart. He might have tried to, you know, make him look like a model. So he'd have to weaken the grip and then he'd have to change the lead wrist position. Then he'd have to change the amount of forearm supination at the bottom. He'd have to change the amount of dip. So he'd have to completely unravel everything that made Dustin Johnson him. Whereas Butch Harmon went the the simpler route, really, and just added something that, that fit in with the rest of the makeup. And I think that's for someone at Butch Harmon's level to have the confidence to do something that simple, I think says a lot about him and also golf instruction in general, whether it's, I don't know whose fault it is, whether it's the player expecting to hear a bunch of stuff, the coach feeling the pressure to give the pupil a bunch of swing stuff. 
I feel like that's one of the pitfalls of instruction is that whatever side it's coming from, there's this expectation that when you show up, you're going to get this laundry list of stuff and changes to make you better. And I guess for some players that is necessary if there are some major problems. Like if I, I've seen golfers that you, you look at them swinging and you're like, this isn't even close to functional. This is going to require a complete overhaul for them to get better. Versus others, you see them and just like, okay, they're really not that far off. Maybe let's just stick with what they've got, keep that fingerprint of their golf swing and make some tinier adjustments you know, to, to make these matchups work better. Because I think a lot of golfers aren't as far off as they think they are. And that would be the route, let's say, if I was a string in, swing instructor, that, that would be the route that I would take is like, all right, rather than like blowing this thing up, let's let's stick to what you're more comfortable with and get a few of these matchups in, in better territory so you know what to expect more on the golf course. And at least you have something to work on in practice as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I see the swing as just a, pe- a a series of different movements, like I said, different pieces. And if I have a golfer in front of me, the first thing I'm looking at is what's their ground contact, then what's their face contact, and then what's their direction, which I attribute most of that to face direction. And from there, I, I just note down certain patterns that they have. So say they're struggling with ground contact, they're hitting it fat all the time. Then I'm, I'm going to say to myself, well, what could I add to their swing to move that ground contact forwards? And then my brain goes into, well, what are the options here? Well, I could move the low point forwards. So that could be a weight shift thing. It could be even moving the ball back in the stance a little bit. I could make them swing more left. Most people don't know, but if you make someone swing more left, their ground contact moves forwards. Or we could delay the release. We could have a later release. And I don't like people to hold off on the release, but a later release of the club will also move the ground contact forwards. So there there are three options there. And each one of those options will have a different effect on other variables. Say you're hitting it, you are hitting it fat one day, right? And I know you swing from the inside. What do you tend to do? You tend to have a low a low ball flight. So I would say... I wouldn't do a later release with you. Do you know why? Actually, I don't. More forward shaft lean. A later release would tend to produce more forward shaft lean. Sorry, I just de-loft way too much. Exactly, yeah. You already de-lofted, so we wouldn't want to do that. Weight shift forwards. That could work, but that would probably also de-loft the club. So that's probably not a good option for you. However, swing in a little bit more to the left. That might be a good option for you because that actually kills two birds with one stone for you. That will move the ground contact forwards and it would stop your excessive inside path or it would neutralize it. I wouldn't want to eliminate it because we still always want to hit your draw because that's the way you like to see it. But certainly working towards minimizing that would be a good option. That would probably be the best matchup for you. I am always trying to swing left, I feel like. (laughs) (laughs) That's just something like I I was in a tournament this week where I drove it really well. And again, I stepped up to the tee trying to hit a fade, but I was never going to hit a fade unless I healed it, of course. We spoke about gear effect in some other episodes, but I was hitting these almost laser straight drives by trying to swing left. Now, we keep getting back to the fighting your extremes with the opposite to get you into neutral territory. But that's kind of a common theme we have on here. So I've seen like these model swings that have come out 
I'll take an example. I hope I don't put you on the spot here because you, you learned under Ledbetter, correct? What, what did you think when like, what was it? The A-Swing came out? I think he wrote that book like four or five years ago, something like that. It's just a different set of matchups. You have put me on the spot here. <laughs> I think it is a model that can work. You know, you look at yeah. George Gankus' stuff where the shaft is much steeper and then shallows it. It is a great way to create a shallowing of the of the club at the top. However, I wouldn't put everybody into that. I wouldn't I wouldn't make everybody who walks through the tee look like that. I guess the hard part that I guess everyone listening to this is like, what do I do? Like, where do I go? And I think both you and I would, obviously, you can go to get Adam's programs. I think they're wonderful. So I'll always plug those. But in terms of like seeking out instruction, let's say you got to an instructor who said like, hey, this is the way I teach the swing. I want my golfers to make these moves and that's it. Outside of that, <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm not really working with you that much. And then there are other go- instructors who will do more of the matchup thing. I mean, you're you're more involved in the instructional community. So I guess I'm asking on behalf of golfers, like it's so hard to make the right choice when you're looking to improve your swing. Well, I mean, if all the swings that come out of a philosophy look the same, they're probably teaching towards an ideal, in air quotes, model. There are several ideal models. I mean, I don't want to call out different philosophies, but there are loads of different versions of the swing. They all look quite similar because there are certain things in a good golf swing that need to be there, certainly. But within that, you only have to look at the tour to see that there's also plenty that doesn't look the same. And you could ruin a hell of a lot of tour players by trying to make them look more textbook. Like I said, you you could ruin a Furyk, you could ruin a Dustin Johnson, you could ruin a Morikawa. I mean, just list off any tour pro, basically, and you could probably ruin them by adding too many textbook moves to the, to their swing rather than just tweaking things. So again, you, you say, well, what where do you go for instruction? It's like... What do you want? What do you need in your game? Do you need better ground contact? Do you need better face contact? Do you need better face control? Do you want a more neutral path? You know, if you're hitting big slinging slices or hooks and you want to neutralize that, then you're going to need to change the path as well. It's what do you need more of at impact? That's always the goal. And then from there, we look at the options, the possible options. And then if you're a good instructor, you're going to be able to pick the one option that kills the most birds with a stone, with one stone. I can change someone's path and that would have a positive effect on loft, angle of attack, ground contact, face direction. And it's only really one swing thought for them. Yeah, I I mean shockingly my my philosophy is similar like i feel as though rather than trying to fit some type of model of the swing just for the sake of it it's more efficient and worthwhile to i always think of just working backwards from what the golf ball is doing and that as you said it gets its marching orders and impact with face all the things we talk about face strike ground contact where the face is pointing at impact the path of the club and that shows up in the ball flight and most golfers you know we see it on the course are struggling with an excessive for a right-handed golfer left to right slice ball flight where they're probably adding too much loft so they're losing distance you have to work backwards from that and and i would say to anyone who is seeking instruction if they find an instructor is that that would be 
the worthwhile way to do it is saying like, what's going on? Let's work backwards. And I think we could fix it with perhaps it's a grip adjustment. Perhaps it's what Adam mentioned, wrist angles at the top of your swing setup. But I think all the best golfers in the world do that still as much technology as they have available to them. They're, they're looking at what that golf ball is doing in the air and, and taking the clues and working backwards. The matchups philosophy requires more knowledge. It does require a little bit deeper knowledge, a little bit of out, outside the box thinking to a certain extent, if you're an instructor. Whereas a model swing, if I just, it'd be the easiest job in the world. If I just got everybody on my lesson tee to work towards one model, you know, here's position one, here's position two, here's position three. If I got everybody to do that, that is so easy to do as an instructor, but it's lazy. It is, it is lazy because it's harder on the student because you're having to completely rebuild their entire swing for the most part, rather than just taking what they're already doing, how they're already naturally moving and working that, evolving it slowly towards lots of players will end up looking better at the end of a lesson with me. They will end up looking maybe slightly more textbook. But I tell you what, there are some people who end up looking less textbook on my tee. What I can guarantee you is no one leaves my lesson tee looking the same. They don't, they don't look like they've all come off a factory because that's not what, what I'm working towards. I'm taking what someone does and just adding good pieces to it. So I could have a Jim Furyk on the lesson tee. I, by the way, I don't teach these guys. I don't want to you guys get the idea that I do, but I could teach a Jim Furyk one moment and then have a Dustin Johnson who looks completely different make them better in that lesson or make them hit it how they want it to in that lesson and have them leave looking like themselves, basically, or certainly not looking like each other. Whereas, like I said, if you're following a philosophy where everybody comes off looking like they've come off the factory line, then it's probably more of a swing method, working towards an ideal model rather than this philosophy of matchups. And now I'm not saying that's bad necessarily, Okay, it works. It works. Working towards a single model can work. But it's not as efficient, I don't think, as if you know about matchups. If you want to support our show, make sure to check out our sponsor, LinkedIn, by visiting linkedin.com slash sweetspot to post your job for free. When you're hiring for your small business, it's essential that you get quality and qualified professionals. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs can help you find the right people for your team with the fast and free tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. They have a network of more than a billion professionals, many of which you can't find elsewhere. And this makes LinkedIn the best place to hire while making the process easy and intuitive. Because of how easy it is with LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses find qualified candidates in less than 24 hours. LinkedIn have just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier. That's why two and a half million businesses trust LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash sweetspot. That's linkedin.com slash sweetspot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Link is in the show notes. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Do you get the sense, I know you're not around every instructor on the planet, but I'm sure you're following trends in the industry. Do you get the sense that over the last decade with all of the knowledge that launch monitors and the biomechanics and everything, all the tools that you know, aspiring coaches have access to now, do you get the sense that there is more of this instruction going on and less of that, hey, let's just learn this one way of swinging it and that's it? Yeah, and I don't know why. I don't know why that's happened. I mean, to give David Ledbetter credit, right, his, his book, The Golf Swing, it's a model golf swing. It's one of the best models you could follow. It's really neutral. I learned it. I think it was very valuable knowledge knowing what a good golf swing looks like. And David also released another book. I can't remember the exact title from it. I'm going to have to look it up. But it was something like Lessons from the Pros, where he looked at a bunch of different pros with unique characteristics. So like Azinger had a really strong grip, loads of different examples like that. And And David talked about why that swing worked. And so uh, that's what I think a good teacher is. It's like David Ledbetter. Hey, David, give me give me the check in the mail, okay? <laughs> Pick it up. Yet, but he doesn't need anything. He's got such a good... <laughs> yeah, he's got a good reputation He's probably got enough well, checks so at this point. He has this idea of a model in his head. So I think those are important things for, for instructors to know. But he also knows when not to touch something. Or he knows why other swings work. I think that that, in my opinion, is a sign of a good instructor is when you have both tools to your disposal. So I, I went completely off on a tangent there. I don't even remember what the question was now. Well, I think I was just asking with with more knowledge now, my assumption is that there, there's more of an opportunity for the knowledge to be out there about matchups and learning them. Because it, it seems, my in my view, it seems like there's more of that going on. It's becoming more popular versus the, when I was growing up and you see instructors, they would just teach the same thing to everyone and not change a thing. It just seems like there's there's so much more, especially with, with just working with the launch monitors, the diagnostic tools and seeing what's really going on versus just looking at someone or just on video. There's more of an opportunity to create these more functional matchups, or at least that's just my assumption. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, that's the hilarious thing is when we were when we were learning golf, you kind of had to pick a philosophy, right? You'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go with that philosophy. And then you'd spend two or three years working to make your swing look like that. You found out you still hit it whole awful. And then you just moved on to the next philosophy, hoping that was going to be the one. Well, a good instructor doesn't teach one specific philosophy or one specific model i should say they understand all of them they understand many different models so they can call upon say a, ta- a stack and tilt model if if there is one i i don't know enough about stack and tilt to say they swing uh, towards one model or a lead better golf swing model or say a jimmy ballard model or something like that they they understand all these different models and they can draw pieces from them to help that player in front of them so if someone comes into your lesson to already swinging like a Jimmy Ballard model, then you don't have to completely overhaul them. You can just pick out the better things that they need from that Jimmy Ballard model in order to make it work. Well, the thing that always confused me about, you know, the model golf swing or like using pro golfers as examples is that you're taking these 
mostly physical specimens who, who have done this their whole lives, their bodies can do things, whether it's natural talent or attained through working out, they can make movements that, <laughs> let's face it, average golfers are not physical specimens. They're you know, in, in the current era of humanity, a lot of people are living sedentary lives. They they sit all day when they work. They're not getting as much physical activity as they should. And when they show up on the golf course, they've got back pain. They're not very flexible. You know, they've got perhaps some injuries from their childhood or something like that. Their knees are bad. So I often wonder, and I think TPI does an excellent job of this with, you know, their network of, of trainers and, and the way they evaluate people. But when I think about matchups, I also think about physical limitations. Like when you look at, you know, the shoulder turn and, and all the things that Justin Johnson can do in his backswing and an impact, it's just his flexibility and athleticism that's incredible. Or Rory McIlroy, he can do things that I know they've measured him and it's just off the charts. So it's just kind of like a fool's errand to try and swing like these players. So when I think about matchups, I'm like, well, what matchup can someone make with their current body, or at least maybe the body they're going to work towards. So I often think about like physical ability, injuries, stuff like that, because there's just not a lot of moves that people people are capable of with these quote unquote model swings. Yeah. I mean, a big thing at the moment is tons of rotation, right? Everybody's, I get so many emails about, I, I need to be more rotated. I need to be more open. And at impact, you know, their chest is open enough. And I say, well, yeah, that's a trend at the moment. And being really open is good if you want to hit it more from the toe, if you want your path to be more to the left or less to the right, and if you need your low point to be more forward. So I may encourage someone to do that if they need all of those things. But also we have to say, well, do they have the physical ability to do that? If they don't... If I'm dealing with an, a, an older, say someone in their 60s, late 60s, I'm probably not going to get them as open as Jim Furyk at Impact. And so I might look at a model that is more square shoulders. Someone like a Tiger Woods is, is more square shoulders and say, well, how, do they, how does their swing work? Well, they're more on plane, they're less shallow, and they do some other things as well that match up with that. So... You know, they might stand a touch closer to it or, or so. So, yeah, all these things have to go together, the physical matchups as well. When I was in Austria, I taught so many golfers who, who had, what is that part of the knee? The meniscus. So their meniscus was torn or menisci, if that's the plural. So they couldn't shift onto their lead side. Lots of times they were kind of stuck on their back foot because that was their only, only good leg. And so how do I make this player work? Because I can't get them to shift their weight like a tall pro and look like a model because that's going to hurt them. So I might have to find another way of them, of getting them to hit the ground in the right place. It might be as simple as just moving the ball back in their stance. And they would say, oh, well, that doesn't look like the model. And it's like, well, yeah, you can't shift like the model. So we kind of have to go with this. And one of my favorite things to do as an instructor was just stand on the lesson tee, not, not while I was teaching, this was after lessons, and just experiment with a ton of stuff. I'd put the ball back in the stance, I'd put a ball forward in the stance, I would try and find ways of limiting my movement, so like locking my hips in place, just to see what other people were feeling. Other people who couldn't make good-looking moves were feeling. And then I'd try and figure out, how can I make this work? 
And there's always an answer. There's always multiple solutions to an answer. If I've had players who have limited lead wrist flexion in both wrists, so they can't make certain moves. So I have to tweak their grip or I have to give them an unorthodox right-hand grip and left-hand in order to get them into positions that give them the desired ball flight. So you're working around physical limitations. You're working around mental things as well, like yourself. You want, I'm not saying you're mentally limited here. <laughs> I'm saying you like, you like to see a draw shot. <laughs> okay, so that is a mental uh, limitation in a way. You don't like to see the ball move left or right. I'm the same. I don't like to see the ball move left or right. So that has to be taken into account as well. So I'm going to have to find an alternative solution that doesn't get rid of your draw. There's loads of matchups that we could have. It's not just technical. What are some of like the common bad matchups you see? Like if you had to think of like the top few, for example, like what, what would they be just to give some examples of that? Okay, off, off, off the top of my head, someone might start with a very open face. So there's kind of an evolution to how this theoretical player would go. They start out with a very open face, maybe from a, a weak grip. Right. So they first, their first 10 shots of their golfing career go right, 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 right. Their instinct takes over for the next 10 and they start to swing left. Because right? now at least they're fading it onto the target or slicing it onto the target. The problem with swinging left is that puts the low point too far forward. So the next part in their evolution is they hang back on their back foot. So that would be a bad set of matchups. It works. So they're swinging left, they're hanging on their back foot with an open face. It works, it would get the ball onto the target, but it's not an effective way to do it because you're going to be cutting across the ball so much, you're going to be producing so much spin loft that you're not going to be producing a lot of energy into the ball. There's going to be a low smash factor, your distance is going to be limited, you're going to get different directions with different clubs as well, so shorter clubs will be more likely to stay left. Longer clubs are going to have more of a curve and finish to the right, which you could match up with strategy, I suppose. You know, we talked about that last episode, how we aim different places with different clubs. So there are ways around that. But you don't want to get to the point where your swing is creating inefficiencies like that. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, you're you're essentially describing how my father swings the club and a lot of other golfers I see that they, they get stuck. Yeah, they get stuck on their right side, their trail side. They add a bunch of loft and they're swiping across the ball. And it just creates a very frustrating experience on the golf course where they're not hitting it very far. They're ballooning the ball. A lot of them are, are, are missing well to the right. Or like you said, they could pull a few. That's a very common bad matchup. So let's say there's people listening to this. What would be a few ways you would create functional matchups with those tendencies? Well, before I do that, I'm going to say that when that type of swing gets posted on forums, you will have a hundred comments from amateurs saying, you need, to, you need to shift more. You need to shift your weight foot more. Because they, the amateur, is looking at this from the model swing perspective. They just see that that player isn't shifting and they assume that that's the reason why they're bad. They don't understand that they're not shifting because they're swinging to the left. If you made that player shift more and look more like the model from a face-on view, they would hit it worse. 
because now they would have a left swing and they'd be shifting forwards. That's too many things putting the low point in front. They're going to be steep as hell on it. They're going to be hitting it low. They're just not going to be functional with that. So in order to make that player, in order to unravel it, I suppose you'd go in reverse order. Or, you, or you'd look, I suppose, at what happened first, the chicken or the egg. The first thing for that player was they started with an open face. So let's close that face down a little bit more and get them swinging a little bit more from the inside. Would you strengthen their grip? Yeah, yeah, you could do that. That is one option. You could do lead wrist flexion as well. But if if they have a weak grip, then I would go the grip first, probably. So that's going to start to make the ball go more left initially. Then when you get them to swing a little bit more from the inside, usually that drags the path and face together. So that will turn a pull into more of a drawy shot. And then from there, now their low pointers will move farther back. So now you can get them to shift their weight farther forwards. It, it, this is kind of bread and butter for me as a coach, but I know saying it, I'm, I'm imagining lots of golfers listening to this going, wow, that's complicated. To me, it's simple, that kind of stuff. This is why you guys, I, su- I suppose, should see a coach. And that's also why you shouldn't listen to amateurs who just tell you shift your weight because, as I said, that might make you worse. Yes, that may make you look better, but it's going to make you perform worse because it doesn't match up with the other elements. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that people listening to this at this point, <laughs> I think one of the, my main cautions that I give to most golfers, I've, I've probably written numerous articles saying this in one way or the other, is just stop. First of all, stop listening to all of your buddies or even that random guy at the range who gets you get paired up with at the course i think listening to what adam has to say shows you that there are are all these endless permutations variables whatever you'd like to call that about the golf swing and they do need to pair up nicely so when an untrained eye looks at your swing and tells you oh well this is what you need to do and then you spend the next two weeks trying to do i I just see it all the time it's the blind leading the blind pretty much and i've been Totally guilty as charged too. I try very hard not to give swing tips to anyone at this point because I'm I'm really just not qualified to do it. So I hope the one thing people get away from this episode is just stop listening to people who don't know what they're talking about because you're likely going to make it worse. Well, just to give another example of that, I saw recently a player posted on a forum. He was shanking it right? And at impact. So I I was looking at the swing and he has a huge drop in body height. So that gets him closer to the ball. And then he was flexing his arm through impact, right? Because that was trying to neutralize the drop. So you imagine the drop in height is getting him closer to the ground and to the ball. And the the flexing of the lead arm is, is neutralizing that. It's pulling his hands farther away from the ground and the ball. And so he could hit a few good shots, but the drop in height would sometimes win and he basically hit a shank shot and he was all out of the heel. Now he posted that swing on the forum and he had about a hundred comments telling him to straighten his left arm because that's all amateur golfers see, right? Oh, you need to straighten your left arm. That would make him worse because if he has that huge drop in height and now he's straightening that arm. That's going to push the shank even closer to the ball. So he's going to shank it even more. And he's going to dump the club into the ground more. And he's possibly going to injure himself as well. So the, the reality for that golfer, the better option for that golfer would have been to reduce the drop in height. And so, again, this is it's chicken or the egg. It's which one should you do or which... 
Which intervention should you make that's going to have a good effect on further down the line? Maybe even in both directions, preceding links and proceeding links as well. This is making me think, I don't know how long ago this was. It was probably three, four years ago. <laughs> Someone created a site and I'm so glad it didn't succeed. Usually I keep my mouth shut when people have business ideas. I, I genuinely, you know, anyone who's an op- entrepreneur in the golf industry, I'd love for them to succeed. In this instance, I saw someone whose idea was to create a site where they would crowdsource swing tips. So someone <laughs> someone would post their swing and the great idea was that you'd be get all these responses. I think I put it on Twitter. I was like, I'm sorry, I have to do this. I'm like, this is literally the worst idea I've ever seen. I just can't think of a worse way to screw people up to take one one recreational golfer swing and then throw it out there for a bunch of other people who are unqualified to make comments like you're you're suggesting in this other post feedback on swing to screw them up and what's even worse is let's say you you had that model and you were going to send it to 100 swing instructors who actually did it for a living i think that'd be a terrible model too you would still get all let's let's face it you know everyone has different philosophies and maybe they would have some common fixes for the person, but you'd be hearing a hundred different ways of communicating it. That would be the issue there as well. But the, the idea of crowdsourcing a swing online is just ludicrous to me. Yeah, if you got a if you got a hundred pros to give an opinion on a swing, they would be, it would be much more educated information. Oh, of and course, yes. I'm not saying it would be bad. It's just too much. Yes, exactly. The likelihood that if you implemented one of those things, you would probably get better. I mean, there are some bits of advice from instructors that are, is bad as well. But I suppose I shouldn't <laughs> I shouldn't go into that. But anyway, let's just say let's just assume most instructors' advice is good. Like you said, if you get thrown a hundred instructors, instructors, you might get a hundred bits of good advice. But if you try and do it all at once, you're going to screw yourself up. But the flip side of that is if you get the hundred bits of advice from amateurs, 90% of it is going to be bad advice. It's going to make you worse. I see it every day. It's, it's horrendous. So I think it's one of the main things that holds golf holds a lot of golfers back is, is just the bad game of telephone that occurs amongst golfers. And I yeah. get it. It's not like yeah. anyone's out there trying to hurt each other's games. We're, we're all in this together. I'm not suggesting that people are doing this with malintent. It's generally just friends trying to help each other. I mean, listen to the Chasing Scratch guys. It's just like, that's why I think they've become so popular is because they've kind of like, they've tapped that nerve that everyone knows about golf where you're just like searching for anything. You're on this, you're just looking for a lifeboat anywhere and you'll listen to anyone. And that guy next to you at the dry range, like, Hey, I saw you hit a few shots there. I was thinking you should do this. You're like, Oh really? Tell me more. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's with amateurs, they're often looking at the effect and not the cause. So in our examples, you know, the guy swinging left and on his back foot, the amateur is looking at the effect. They're looking at the back foot. They're looking at the person's wages on the back foot. They're not looking at the cause for that. And the cause was they're swinging left. And the cause for the swing left was they had an open face. So there's a series of, of causes. And so fixing that 
series is is important or the the simpler example of Arshenka who's dropping down towards the ball and having to flex his lead arm the effect is the lead arm flexing but the cause is him dropping down too much and so just neutralizing or balancing the cause is is a better option there that's not to say that in terms of matchups there are pros who flex their lead arm you know Lee Westwood is a great example of that why because Lee Westwood doesn't really move that left shoulder up a lot through impact. So there's another example of matchups. The straightness of the lead arm is almost directly correlated to how hard someone moves that lead shoulder up. So Tiger Woods in his in his prime, in his heyday, was he really worked that lead shoulder up. He used to jump up out of his shoes and and so that straightens the arm for you. Whereas a Lee Westwood, a Louis Oosthuizen, Sergio Garcia, they flex the arm a little bit more through impact. They're good matchups. If you to try and change either in those players, if you try and give Lee Westwood a poke a straight left arm through impact, you made him, you'd make him fat it and shank it. Yeah, I always look, and he's arguably one of the greatest ball strikers of all time. But you know, when you watch him swing it, it's almost like it almost looks almost a little uncomfortable at impact the way he moves through it. But I mean. The way he strikes it, I mean, why would you ever want to change it? Um, it's just his bank balance is pretty comfortable. I'm sure his lifestyle is. Oh my god! I mean, I think he's probably not to go on a tangent here, but he has to be one of the most underrated professional golfers ever. Go on Wikipedia and look how many worldwide professional wins he has. It's astounding. He didn't win a major. That's why he didn't win a major. But if you look at his career, like he has way more professional wins around the world than anyone could even think of. Definitely, yeah. One of my favorite players, Lee Westwood. I, I love his swing because I like unorthodox swings as well. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, there are pros who do certain things that amateurs say you shouldn't. <laughs> it's like, and again, if you look at a model golf swing or if your philosophy is a model golf swing, you would say that Lee Westwood is doing it wrong and that he's compensating in air quotes. And that's laughable to me because it's like, he's not, it's not a compensation. It's just a different way of doing it. It's a subtly different way of doing it that is perfectly functional. There are lots and lots of perfectly functional comp combinations that do not look like a model swing that's kind of what always frustrated me about the game and and just watching it and being a part of it and and again i've fallen into that trap where i've been (laughs) open you don't want to be open to suggestions in this game at any level you know there's these golfers and i've seen it i play with a golfer who actually played professionally for a while and when he gets into a slump he'll listen to just about anyone and I'm looking at him, I'm like, oh my God, you're the best ball striker I've literally ever been around. And you're open to suggestions from people who have no idea what they're talking about. So no one is immune to this. It's just, it's it's what the game does to us. A drowning man will grab onto any hand. Yeah. You know, because there's so much variability in golf, you know, we talked about consistency in another episode and it just doesn't exist there's going to be days or even months where things feel comfortable and then all of a sudden for whatever reason they go out of whack i think i I was listening to jordan spieth i think he was on the no laying up podcast i caught part of it and he had a very interesting comment about what happened with his swing and he's like things go wrong very slowly over a long period of time and it wasn't enough where you would notice it at the moment and then when it's almost too late that's when you realize it I mean, for a golfer who is as great of a ball striker as him to fall into such a funk, it just shows you what this game can do to just about anyone. And I'm sure that 
in his deepest struggles, he was probably dying to get advice from everyone. It seems like he, he stuck it out and is on the right side of things. But one thing I want to hopefully get out to people on this episode is that, yeah, the golf swing is complicated. There isn't one way to do it. There are all these matchups. And I think you're best served listening to one voice who is hopefully a professional who does this for a living, who could diagnose these for you and give you a nice set of instructions. There's a guy with another new swing program online that just came out he can tell you about. But don't listen to your buddies. Don't listen to that guy at the range. They don't know what they're talking about. And it's no offense to them. Like I wouldn't take dental advice or legal advice or, or accounting advice from someone who didn't do that professionally either. There there are lots of – I always take the alternative because I, I know people are listening to that and there's I'm sure there are a lot of very educated amateurs who are going, well, that's not me. I know my stuff. And I would say, yeah, you you might. There, there's a small chance that you might know this stuff, definitely. But there's a bigger chance that you might think you know more than you do. It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. If, if you have a look at that on Google, type in Dunning-Kruger effect, and it's uh, quite an interesting graph. But it takes a lot, a lot of years to kind of figure out really what is going on in, in a golf swing. But it can be done. You can get better educated with matchups. Loads of people who I'm making a plug here go through my programs. They start to understand a little better. I mean, let me test you, John, a little bit. I know you haven't been through through many of my programs as much because you're a busy man but imagine you've got a slicer right so someone swinging left with a wide open face what possible things give me two or three things they could do to get better to hit that ball straighter so they got a slicer wide open face left path they need to make the path less extreme so i guess one option would be to get them swinging less left so they could keep their face impact orientation the same but let's say if they're swinging 12 degrees to the left if you can get them maybe eight or seven or six then you wouldn't have this massive curve as much anymore that would be one way i guess the other way would be to get their face a little more closed at impact so you would keep the path, but then you would make the face matchup more functional. What about a gear effect way? So those first two, great, perfect. What about a gear yep. effect way? Where were they striking it? Let's say they were striking on the center of the club. They strike on the sweet spot, but they're, they're hitting a big old slice. What could they do that might be wrong? Well, if they were healing it, that would create even more problems with with their driver or fairway woods or hybrids because then it's just going to exacerbate that that slice what would happen if they towed it what happened if they made that slice swing and they hit out the toe what would happen to the ball fly would it counter i mean i guess it's how much would it counteract it maybe they would slice less or hit it a little straighter yeah that's more of a would that be a band-aid though because you don't want because you don't want people intentionally striking it on the toe of their driver because then they are not spinning it as efficiently they're losing some smash factor exactly so you've just you've just exhibited that you understand what a good matchup and what a bad matchup is two those first two are good matchups neutralizing the path neutralizing the face the last one would work it would add in some gear effect but it's probably a bad matchup because if you're slicing or producing a slice swing and a toe 
contact, that's going to be very inefficient. You're going to get a very low smash factor with that. And also that swing wouldn't have the same effect with irons. So you'd be getting these high right shots with the irons, you'd be getting straighter shots with the driver, and all of them would be weak. So yeah, so you can be educated in this stuff. As you have you just shown there, you know what a good oh, man, that made me that made me kind of ner- I think I, I got more nervous there <laughs> than I did trying to make the cut at my tournament this week. Jeez. I know. I tried to make it make it easier for you by leading you down the right path. But you would yeah, thank you. you would know that yourself. If you were slicing it one day, you wouldn't say, Oh, let's try and whack it out of the toe. You wouldn't do that. But if you were slicing it from a heel shot then you might say let's move it more towards the toe because then that is a good matchup sure so yeah i mean that's uh should we should we close this this podcast down you could give them yeah what are we what are we trying to tell people here we've given them a bunch of matchups maybe hopefully we didn't confuse too many people but i think it was more of like i feel like this episode was a cautionary tale do you think it was yeah cautionary to to not listen to too many voices i i would say there's not one perfect way to swing the golf club. There, there's more a series of options. So you could take any swing and you could just add pieces to it. Now, those pieces might make it look more textbook, but they don't have to necessarily. But you could just add pieces to make it more functional. So by doing it that way, you are keeping the essence of the player, keeping what makes them them, whilst at the same time improving function. There are better matchups and there are worse ones and a good pro will help you understand that. Or you can get a program like my swing plan that will help educate you more on on matchups, what's good and what's bad, certainly. But yeah, a good pro is going to cut through a hell of a lot of bad information from amateurs from you. And it's, you know, amateurs are mostly looking at effects, not causes, whereas pros will more likely understand the cause. A good pro will. So give them a nice tip. Give them a good paycheck because usually the higher paid ones are worth it. Yeah, I think everything you said makes sense there. I mean, I I would just close out by saying that I think my golf game is a lifelong experiment of moving towards more functional matchups. How did I get from someone who is a 7-8 handicap you know, when I was out of golf to now where I'm into plus territory and, and playing the best golf of my life is that I have figured out in my own unorthodox way how to create functional matchups in my, in my golf swing with what I'm doing. I do some extreme things, but I keep them in check and I've kind of experimented enough. I think I've gone outside of the box a bit. A lot of it hasn't come from extru- instruction, but I guess I'm living proof of a, not a beautiful looking golf swing, but at least a a few different matchups glued together that allows me to play fairly well at this game and enjoy it. So I think this is something that you want to work towards this type of golf. I prefer golfers to think of the swing this way versus like, oh, I want to look like this. I want to look like that player, that guy I saw last week. I want to swing like him or what I saw on YouTube. That could work. I just think you have a lower chance of success. So I would approach it from that perspective. Certainly get professional help if you can and check out Adam's new swing plan. And don't listen to your buddy's swing tips. I'll say that for like <laughs> the 20th time because it's, it's just, it, it's a very low, of course, anything could work. We always have exceptions, but we're just giving, trying to give you the tools to have the best chance of success. So that that's where I stand on this topic. I've got one more closing statement on this. I, I, I was thinking, if you were to ask a golfer, would you rather work on a hundred things or one thing? 
to achieve the same result. They're going to choose the one thing. Now, matchup sounds complicated, but it actually gets you closer to that one thing. Because if you had to make your swing look like a model, you might have to change a hundred things, right? You're going to have to change takeaway, top of the swing, grip. But if you work on the philosophy of matchups, a good pro can say one thing to you to achieve three or four different things that will positively affect your game. So although matchups might be a little bit more intensive to understand, it actually leads to, to more simplicity when it comes to changing which is why lots of great instructors like Butch Harmon, lots of their players end up looking the same. All right, let's end it there. Adam, where can they find your new stuff? AdamYoungGolf.com. When I said Butch Harmon, and they end up looking the same, I mean the same as when they came in, not all the same. That's Sorry, a, I have to add good, that. That is a very Yeah, nice that's a big important point. thing. So Dustin good. Johnson doesn't look like Ricky Fowler, but they, they, you know, Dustin Johnson looks like Dustin Johnson when he first came to him. Tiger his, Woods had yeah. lots of his essence when he came. Sorry, his I, fingerprint I, is still <laughs> intact, is yes, what you meant. Yes, yes, exactly. So yeah, AdamYoungGolf.com. I've got a new program out, released it recently called The Swing Plan. It is much more moving movement-oriented. is 10 hours of content. But I talk a lot about these matchups. It is not a swing-this-way approach. It is a understand-movement approach. So yeah, I, I find that is that matches with my philosophy overall. And John, where can people reach you? Check me out at practical-golf.com. You can access over 400 free articles on various topics that are not related to the golf swing. Check out our deals section and sign up for our newsletter. Thanks again for everyone listening. Appreciate all the messages. And we will come back with a new episode next week. Yep. Thank you, guys.